Thank you, Larry. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the light and reveal. Show us our sin. Turn us around. Set us apart until we are wholly yours. Amen. Well, how, how do we make sense of the Bible? You know, that is, that is a big question uh, for us. And this morning we're going to check in on a couple of roommates who have been finding themselves every so often getting into conversations about the Bible. Let's watch. Where's the, where's the remote? No. Why aren't you at work? Ah, called and said. No, no, you're actually supposed to go there. You can't keep doing this, man. Roommate, you got a spirit animal. It's called the sloth. Yeah, sloths have amazing lives. Oh. Everybody knows that. Man, no, listen, like, I'm going to be getting promoted soon to manager, right? I'm going to be looking for a house. But you are getting ready to be homeless because you're always trying to do the bare minimum to get by, man. I mean, I was going to be outraged, but that seems fair. No. Look, you got to do your best. And then you got to go just a little bit beyond, man, if you really want to have success in life. <laughs> Dude, you sound like a fortune cookie. You memorize fortune cookies now? No, just wait, just wait, just wait. Let's see. No, check this out. Listen, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent richly is richly supplied. That's out of Proverbs 13 and 4. Come on, man. What? You seriously just quote the Bible at I me? I sure did, man. Now who's the preacher? Come <laughs> on, man. Look, I just looked up a verse that says, you know, like, how to do your best. And then, boom, like, this is what I get. But I'm going to let God put you in your place, bro. Dude, you can't use the Bible to spite uh, me. Yes, I sure can. You remember the practical teachings, the stuff you were telling me about? Uh, They're still there. <laughs> what? Yeah, check Dude. this one out. Go to the end, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. See, in this one, you're the sluggard. I'm the ant. I have created a monster. Nah. You're going to be a cult leader. Nah, man, I ain't gonna. This be is a... how it starts. Nah, I'm not, I'm not joining be no your cult. cult leader, man. I'm not joining your. Nah, cult. it's not even like that. See, you grew up with this stuff, so this is stuff I feel like you should know, man. But like, just doing my best and not being lazy—that's stuff that my mom taught me. Well, your mom is cool. Yeah, man. Thank you. She is pretty. Okay, cool. Austin and Jarrell are trying to figure out they're kind of stumbling through of how to use the bible and well so far they're just pretty much using it to try to prove the other one wrong <laughs> but what about the bible how, how do we make sense of of this complicated book have you heard of aj jacobs He's a writer for Esquire magazine. His style is to thoroughly immerse himself in an experience and then write about it. A little over a decade ago, he made a commitment to spend an entire year following all of the rules of the Bible. He calls it my year of living biblically. Then he wrote a book about it, and I understand it was recently turned into a TV show. I'm sure it was a comedy. 
Jacob's conduct, conducted this experiment as an agnostic, but he read through the Bible anyway and found over 700 rules which he set out to follow. So when the book of Leviticus says to not shave the corners of your beard, he wasn't sure what counted as corners, so he just let the whole thing grow for a year. Uh, and his wife refused to kiss him the last two months. You know, just Leviticus says not to wear clothes uh, made from a blend of fibers, so he got rid of all of his polycotton T-shirts. And he also discovered how challenging it was to go an entire year without gossiping, coveting, or lying. Here is a picture of uh, Jacobs in downtown New York. He, he rented a sheep for the day <laughs> and posed as a shepherd, and I'm guessing this was a lot more about publicity than living biblically. Leviticus says to stone adulterers, and so he carried uh, pebbles in his pocket. He only had to get them out once, and he said it didn't go very well. The best thing that he said that happened to him was about giving thanks. By focusing on his blessings instead of the things that go wrong, he became happier. By taking a Sabbath day and to not work, it also improved his life. But in the end, he said he, he failed. He failed miserably to follow every rule in the Bible. He decided it's impossible. And that's what a lot of us, a lot of people have decided that, you know, including many Christians, the Bible's impossible to live with, to live by, so why bother? I believe Jesus can help us. This fall, we're digging into Jesus' most famous uh, message, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And I'm not saying Jesus is going to solve every question, but he's going to help us navigate uh, the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the flaw of A.J. Jacobs' experiment was that he treated the Bible like a flat book. You know, a lot of Christians do that, treat the Bible like a flat book. And by flat, I mean reading as if everything in it had equal weight and authority. When you read the Bible like a flat book, then the Old Testament commandment to uh, not eat pork and Jesus' command to not throw your pearls before, to the pigs, I mean, you've got to obey both of them, right? And I, I just want you to know, I have never thrown my pearls to the pigs. I don't have pearls or pigs, so it wasn't hard. If you believe the Bible is a flat book, then, then you have to obey everything just the same. I believe that's misguided. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 17. Grab a pew Bible. If you didn't bring one, it's on page 969 there. Uh, and the pew Bible is also our giveaway Bible. So that means if you don't have one at home or one that's readable to you, then just, you know, you've got one now. Take it home, read it. You can underline, highlight, write notes in the margin, whatever works. Now, before we... Uh, Look up this passage. I'm going to ask you if you would back up just a few pages before that to the very end of the Old Testament to page 960 in the Pew Bible and then hold both sections so you can compare them, okay? The Old, the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, was Jesus' Bible. And as you can see, it is much larger and was written over several centuries before Jesus was born. 
the New Testament was all written in the first century, and it starts with those four biographies about Jesus, uh, and it comprises the last fourth or fifth or so of, of the Bible. And, and Christians believe that the New Testament is a continuation of and culmination of the Old Testament. So, if you would, go on those few page fours back, pages forward back again to uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting with verse 17. Now, when I read this verse, I'm going to ask you to help me. And uh, whenever we come to the words abolish or fulfill, you say them with me. You know, good and strong, all right? The words abolish and fulfill. All right. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is odd. Why would anyone imagine that Jesus had come to abolish the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament? Well, here's why. Starting with verse 21 to the end of the chapter, six times Jesus is going to say, you have heard it said, and he's going to quote the Old Testament, and six times he's going to say, but I say to you and say something different. Six times Jesus is going to call his disciples to a morality that is higher than the Old Testament. That's going to sound like heresy to Jewish ears. So in this passage that we're looking at today, he anticipates their objections. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And that word abolish can mean to destroy, overthrow, tear down. The Jews, we know, were people of the book. The scriptures defined them. So Jesus reassures them that he has no intention of throwing it out. Rather than abolish the law and the prophets, he says his purpose is to fulfill them. What does that mean? What does that mean to fulfill the law and the prophets? It means he takes them where they were meant to go. The Old Testament is God's word like the early light of dawn is the beginning of day. Then Jesus comes and brings the full light of day. The full light of day is not a repudiation of the dawn. It's, an ex it's the fullest expression of where the dawn was heading. Uh, scholar Frederick Dale Bruner says that the word fulfill in the Hebrew also means to set up to raise, even to resurrect. So Jesus came to resurrect the scriptures, to bring them to life. Uh, here's another way to picture it. The Old Testament was like a, a glass that was partly full. You know, it's got some water in it. And, you know, if you are parched, if you're dehydrated, then even a little water is is pretty welcome, isn't it? I mean, you're going to want it. But Jesus said, he came to fulfill it. And I think one way to think of that is he came to fill it to the full. 
Reminds me of when Je one time Jesus was thirsty and he asked a, a woman if she would get him some water from the well that they were at. And then he said that he would offer her living water. He said, the water I give them will become in them a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus fulfills it, fills it to the full. Now, I confess to you, and parts of the Old Testament can be really hard to read. Any of you found that? Especially with all the violence. So what I've decided is that I've got to read the Old Testament with one eye on Jesus, who is not violent at all. I want Jesus beside me reminding me that the Old Testament was a preview, that the Old Testament set the stage so that we can meet the main character, the Messiah. You know, sometimes when I read the Old, the, the Old Testament, I'm, in, I'm kind of embarrassed. God can sometimes seem moody, capricious, harsh. So, I remember that Jesus is the fullest expression of the Father. He is what God is really like. And yet, there are clues, if you look for them, there are clues in the Old Testament that this violence was really not what God ultimately wanted. Yesterday, I was uh, reading in 1 Chronicles where David, King David tells his son Solomon that it's going to be up to him to build the temple in Jerusalem. Now, David wanted to build it, but the Lord says, No, David, I won't let you build a temple before me because you have shed so much blood. You have been a man of war. I thought, isn't that interesting? You think that David's the warrior who's fighting for the Lord and the Lord is blessing all his battles, but maybe ultimately that's not what God wanted most. David the warrior is unqualified to build God's house. So don't throw out the Old Testament. Based on what Jesus says, I think here's the most important thing to remember when we're reading the Old Testament, okay? This is, I think, a classic Christian approach. We understand Jesus from the viewpoint of the Old Testament, and we understand the Old Testament from the viewpoint of Jesus. You see where I'm headed? One looks forward and one looks back, but you've got to do both to make it forward to make sense. Let's say that together, shall we? We understand Jesus from the viewpoint of the Old Testament. We understand the Old Testament from the viewpoint of Jesus. Now, Jesus loved his Bible, our Old Testament. And I hope that you'll come to love it too, even though parts of it are so hard to read. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted, remember that, in, in the wilderness. And what does he do? Every time he quotes scripture, it is written, a person shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Deuteronomy 8, 3. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test, Deuteronomy 6, 16. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, Deuteronomy 6, 13. Jesus loved his Bible just like we love the dawn, but he moves us forward. He elevates us to a higher level of righteousness. Next week, we're going to see how Jesus elevated two of the Ten Commandments. Um, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. 
he takes them to a higher and deeper place. And Jesus not only fulfilled the law by what he taught us, he fulfilled it by demonstrating that higher and deeper righteousness in his own life. Jesus said one time, um, it's it, we'll, we'll come to it in the Sermon on the Mount, when someone strikes you on one cheek, what? Turn the other cheek, you know. And that's what Jesus did. Later, he would be mocked by Roman soldiers who took a wooden staff and beat him repeatedly over the head. And yet, he loved them. Yet, he prayed, Father, forgive them. So now let's go to verse 18, where Jesus underscores his loyalty to the Jewish Bible. He says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus had no intention of throwing out the Old Testament. He's not going to rewrite the Ten Commandments, but he will reinterpret them. He'll go beyond them, and he'll show us which uh, rules and laws are no longer in force. They had their time, but they're no longer in force now that he has come. So for us to obey the Old Testament means, means obeying Jesus' interpretation of it. Do you hear me? I, I didn't put this one on a slide, but I wish I had. For us to obey the Old Testament means obeying Jesus' interpretation of it. And in verse 18, Jesus implies that when he comes back and heaven and earth as they ex exist now are finished, then the Old Testament will also be done away with. But I have to show you this. It's later in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus claims that even when heaven and earth disappear, when they're gone, his words will remain. Matthew 25, 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. So when God establishes this renewed heaven and this renewed earth and they merge into one glorious creation, the Old Testament law is going to be gone, but Jesus' words will remain. Jesus will reign and his words remain. So now let's go on to verse 19. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Big question is, what does he mean by these commands? Does he mean the Old Testament commands or his commands? Well, I believe He's talking about his commands, especially the ones in the Sermon on the Mount. These are commands not for the kingdom of Israel. They're the commands for God's kingdom coming here on earth. Now, I want to say, Jesus does set aside some Old Testament commandments. He doesn't abolish them. He sets them aside. He, he builds on them for something better. So now let's go to verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, everybody back then, they just thought the Pharisees, they, they were, you know, like super good. They, they were the most righteous people ever. 
But Jesus didn't think so. He saw them going through the motions, but doing it without love. He saw them obeying the letter of the law and then looking for loopholes. He saw them making a big show of their good deeds, but not loving God from the heart. If righteousness is all about following the literal rules, then you can't beat a Pharisee. They did it up good. They, do, they did it better than anybody. Jesus says, we have to go beyond that. Righteousness goes beyond just kind of strictly keeping up with the, with the rules that you can, you can accomplish. You've got to go beyond the letter of the law. So often, and I believe this is where we Christians fail Jesus. Sometimes we even oppose him. 20th century Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones is one of my favorite writers and, and uh, he points out that in church history back in the time of the Crusades in the Middle Ages, uh, the Crusaders sang a song that actually is a, it appears in our hymnals. I don't know if any of you know it or remember it. It was called Ferris Lord Jesus, Ruler of All Nature. And while these Crusaders sang that song and with the authority of the church, they slaughtered Muslims in Jerusalem. Men, women, and children. How often the church has failed to enter the kingdom. John Bowring was an Englishman who wrote a hymn that's also in our hymnal. It's uh, In the Cross of Christ I Glory. Do you remember that one? Towering o'er the wrecks of time. He wrote that hymn while serving aboard a ship carrying Africans to be slaves in the New World. E. Stanley Jones says, As Christ sat shackled and tortured with the slaves, he could not hear Bowring's hymn of praise, for his ears and his heart were filled with the groans of his brethren about him. How often we Christians have failed to enter the kingdom. The righteousness of Jesus was not a, a legalistic righteousness of the Pharisees. His was a love-based righteousness. And only with a love-based righteousness will we find ourselves in God's kingdom. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. This week, sit down. And open your Bible to the Old Testament, anywhere. It really doesn't matter where. Just find a place and start reading. And read Jesus' Bible until you find something that reminds you of him. Can you do that? And just, just ask Jesus that, to open your eyes and, and maybe that you will see a glimpse of him in the Old Testament. And then ask him, what a love-based righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees would look like in your life. Would you do that? Ask him to show you. What would, what would that look like for me this week? To have that kind of righteousness that goes above and beyond rule-keeping and laws and becomes a love-based righteousness. And, and the higher and and 
and this higher and deeper righteousness of Jesus, I have to confess, it, it seems beyond our reach most of the time, doesn't it? We, we so easily fall short of Jesus' dream for us, but I want you to know he still loves us. And he's always ready to help us. And he says the Father will send the Holy Spirit to live within us. And so I think I would just offer this as our prayer today. I rely on Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. When, when we're, we're seeking the righteousness of God, we say, I, I rely on Jesus and I receive the Holy Spirit. Not that we, we have to keep receiving the Holy Spirit over and over, but I keep receiving the Holy Spirit's gifts and the Holy Spirit's strength and power in my life. And so, if that's a prayer today that you can affirm, then in just a little bit I'm going to ask you to stand and, and say it, but instead of saying it all together in unison, I'm going to say, let's just say it individually. There might be nearly a couple hundred of us here right now, but whoever wants to, stand and say it on your own. I rely on Jesus, and I receive the Holy Spirit. You know, it's really the cry of our hearts, the cry of, of wanting a life that we can't seem to achieve on our own. Let it be the cry of your heart. I rely on Jesus. I receive the Holy Spirit. And so, when you are ready, I invite you to stand. And say those words. Let's all stand. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know that we, uh, we fall short pretty easily. We fail to enter the kingdom that, the way you envisioned it. And so we're counting on your grace. Lord, you gotta, we're counting on you to, to pick us up, sinners that we are. Um. And sometimes we just get so distracted in, in heading in our own direction and wanting life our own way that we, we just make a mess of things. Or we think it's fine. We're in denial. But Lord, we ask that you will open our eyes that we can see what you have for us. This higher and deeper righteousness. It's not about rules. It's not about following the letter of the law. It's, so, it's be way beyond that. Jesus, thank you for telling us about it, but also showing us what it is in your own life. So we say to you, I rely on you, and I receive the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.